Hello and welcome to UE Bristol's Let's Talk Now podcast. In this brand new series, we're tackling the stigma around mental health by encouraging everyday conversations and sharing positive stories from our students, staff and partners about mental health and wellbeing. In this episode, UE Bristol staff Laura and Jen talk about depression and self-esteem and how society's lack of understanding and use of language can have a negative impact on mental health don't necessarily talk as freely about mental health um, as maybe they should. And so I kind of would like to see myself as becoming or trying to become an ambassador within the faculty to say, look, don't be scared of it. Um, You've got to talk about it. Um, But also I guess it's about me finding out my own journey and and actually who I am because I think um, my depression has actually made me lose sight of of massively who I am and what I stand for. So I think it's part of my development and my um, sort of trying to find out who I am, but also about saying I'm not scared to talk about it while I'm trying to, while I'm on that journey, and uh, and hopefully it might encourage more colleagues to to feel the same. I suppose. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's a really good um, position to to come from the sense that you can talk about it actually from somebody who's experienced those difficulties mm-hmm. and maybe be an ambassador um, from that point of view may encourage people to to talk yeah. about that. Um, do you, what, why do you think academics don't necessarily talk about mental health? I think I think some do. I'm not. Mm. I'm, I'm kind of uh, sort of not going to put them all in the same sort of part and say mm. that all of them all of them are the same. But I think possibly in the faculty that I work in, I think that maybe um, there's a kind of um, there's still sort of some stigma about it being um, potentially um, not necessarily a good thing to talk about. You've got to be strong um, and uh, sort of maybe put on a a face a lot of the time. Um, I don't know whether there is something about sort of the kind of academic world in Mm. in general maybe I I don't know I'm I'm not actually an academic although I work in the faculty I'm not actually an academic um so I am sort of this is sort of my opinion based on on what Mm. I see there are some people who are who are really um who are really uh also passionate about it but it's very private and but very uh hidden um and specifically within the male sort of population yeah. um i managed a member of staff within the faculty for a while um who's, who's no longer here but who really really struggled with opening up about the fact that he had issues mm. and um and I think that that's a shame. I think we need to kind of go, actually, we ha- we all have to deal with so much in our personal lives and private lives um, that um, we should talk about it and we should be able to say, do you know what, this isn't right. Yeah. Um, just in the same ways that sort of the equity programme that's been released is talking about the issues around sort of sort of the BME experience um, for students. This is just as, just as, if not more important for all of us, really. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think with um, some of the... Uh, some of my experience in practice it encouraged me to look at why people um, don't necessarily disclose any mental health difficulties to their organisation. Reassuringly, there has been improvements with that. Okay. But it's still really low, the fact that people um, may be happy to talk about mental health, possibly, but not necessarily disclose that they've got a mental health disorder. Yeah. Or... Um, 
<clears throat> struggling with their mental health to their organisation, to mm. their employers, which I find um, really interesting. So as somebody <clears throat> who's working with um, with people and, and starting to kind of um, get exposure to people with mental health, do you still, do you come across people who still find it even hard to open up to you who is sort of going into that profession? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, <clears throat> so in regards to somebody who's going through their uh, personal difficulties, since, since joining... Um, UE and like I said that's only been since October I have had students come to me already okay um, that has been as a direct result of talking about mental health okay that's good so um which I think is great because it is, yeah. it's encouraged people to actually come forward and, and disclose that or identify that they're not able to attend a session possibly because of a issue going on at home in regards to mental health mm-hmm. but unfortunately I'm not sure how effective it is in regards to how often we're able to offer those sessions around mental health within the modules mm-hmm. yeah. or the program um but yeah definitely 100% people are um concerned about coming forward for one reason or another and I do think it's that stigma and that embarrassment that people feel is associated with with admitting that they're struggling with their mental health so do you think as well i mean i'm at the moment i'm at a stage where i'm thinking about further study myself and i feel um sort of unintentionally that um that people may think that my depression might have a negative a really negative impact on me being able to carry out further study what what would you say what would you say to people like me i suppose in that situation or other or students that you might have already met that that are kind of like, I don't want my depression to define who I am. I still want to have a career. I still want to have a future and I still want to achieve amazing things. But I worried that maybe it might have a real negative impact and that therefore you they, they might not be able to continue their studies because of it. What, what would you say to, to them? I would, first of all, say everyone's individual and you can look at it from a positive stance and come from it that you already have an awareness of your mental health and possibly you could argue that you have more of an insight into what impacts your mental health, what triggers your depression possibly, um, what signs you should be looking out for. So you could come from it that you are in a um, more valuable position going forward into studies because you can already say, well, okay, I recognise that at times I struggle with my mental health. These are are my triggers and this is what I can do to combat Mm -hmm. that. And these are my mechanisms that I use to promote my mental health. Everyone um, can have dips in their mental health at some point. And we know that yeah. the, the statistics are something one in four people are going to struggle with mental health at some point in their lives. So you could argue that people who haven't got a diagnosis or haven't um, sought help around their mental health are going to experience difficulties while studying. Mm. So you could look at it from a positive point of view, but I would definitely be reassuring anybody that um, you can achieve despite mm-hmm. if, you've, if you've got a mental health difficulty or not. Um, it's just I would stress the importance of recognising it and getting help as early as you can. Mm-hmm. And whether, you know, that help doesn't necessarily need to be going to speak to a professional about that. It could be taking, um, you know, up some activities that interest you. So I know since joining you, it's been a really challenging transition going from clinical practice into academia. It's a whole new world for me. Mm-hmm. And I've never struggled with um, anxiety in in my life before, but I found that actually I have got a, um, 
I would say, a level of anxiety mm-hmm. that crosses over that norm. So not going into a lecture and feeling nervous. Yeah. It's the aftermath of delivering a lecture. I then go home, I go back to my office and I feel anxious about, did a student learn? Have they actually benefited from attending that session? Mm-hmm. I never had that before, but that didn't stop me from mm-hmm. taking a step into my career. So did you did you suffer? Have you suffered from any problems before then? So your experience no. is, is sort of new. Yeah. And and do you think I think going back to what you asked me a minute ago about academics, it's interesting that that's that might be one of the anxieties that academics have a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think that um, whilst it's really important, I think there's, there's two things that have come out for me. What you've just said, one is about the fact that um, when you are a student studying, if I go back twenty years when I first admittedly probably started suffering from depression and and didn't really realise that understanding the kind of what my triggers are, that's only really started to happen in the last two years of my life. Yeah. It didn't happen 20 years ago. It's taken me 20 years ago, mm. 20 years, sorry, to to, to realise w- what what's what is my triggers, what, what's causing my problems. Mm. And that's through having to go through a lot of painful situations and a lot of difficult um, different, difficult courses and counselling and CBT and all sorts of different things that I've tried. Um, and that, that, that really, you know, that's, I think that's a big thing that students must, must struggle with. Yeah. But also the other side to that is that I think students don't necessarily realise that academics are people too. Mm. And that you, you know, you'll come out of a lecture and think, you know, someone might say something, what a student might say something to you. And actually what, what impact does that then have on you on your anxiety of, of your own career because it's such a high pressured environment for academics to to perform they've got I just take my hat off them really all the things that they've got to do and students don't necessarily understand that I think so it's about getting the balance right isn't it for for students and 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 staff um and I think you're right I mean you know I don't know if if everybody would feel this way but sometimes to me delivering a lecture is a bit like a a performance in a sense that you are stood up there you've got eyes on you and you're sharing this knowledge in a way that may not necessarily be how you would communicate on a one-to-one basis Mm -hmm. so you feel like you you are performing to get that information across and then it to me it feels like after that it's you you're on sort of you know a come down then you've spent time preparing for the session you're thinking about the session and then the lead up to it, it's, you know, that's what's on your mind. And then it's over and you're sort of left there thinking, well, did that go OK? And you ask mm-hmm. feedback, even if the feedback's positive or constructive. So it's given you somewhere to go with it. <clears throat> I've still found that I'm left with those feelings of, well, what if a student fails? Is that something because I haven't delivered a session properly or because they haven't been benefiting from what I've been saying? Mm-hmm. And I think to overcome that, because this is all new to me, um, it's taken me some time but I mean not not a lot of time at all really to figure out what's good for me and what I can do in work and outside of work to help um manage those feelings mm-hmm. I'm not going to call it anxiety because I don't think it's I it's an I don't want to use that word um because I think yes it is it does cause me anxiety in a sense but it's not impact on my day-to-day life yeah um but I I've started to do 15 minute sessions of yoga in the mornings and the evenings, which have really helped me. That's manageable. That's something I can do. It's something I can do in work. Yeah. Um, I've always practised mindfulness since, um, well, not always, but since sort of qualifying as a mental health nurse, I've practised mindfulness, which I'm able to do in work, yeah. which is great. And I've started to uh, network with some colleagues and taken up uh, running, yeah. which is absolutely fantastic. So because that gives me the outlet 
of exercise which helps make me feel you know to help me to feel better but also a time where I can speak to my colleagues and actually say this is how I'm feeling have you ever felt like that to to check that it's it's normal this is mm-hmm. part of the transition so um yeah I, I think definitely having those outlets that are manageable you don't want when I say for people to get help I don't necessarily mean going on a waiting list for a year to get one-to-one therapy but trying to find those things that you can do day in day out that's going to help you maintain a good um mental wealth really yeah and I think that's it's hard it is hard Mm. I mean being in the having had severe sort of episodes of um wanting to hurt myself um wanting to um not exist um at times um uh, it is it is hard um and i think there must be some you know i'm 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 not an extreme in the sense although i've i have self harmed i am i haven't uh, and i've had lots of negative thoughts and i have had thoughts of not wanting to be alive anymore i um i I'm not so severe that I, I've ever got that far. There's something that's managed to stop me going that far. But obviously there are individuals that that do go further than me. So in, in many respects, I'm in a very lucky position. But it is, it's, it is quite... Um, there are times when uh, last week I had three days off work and, um, and I felt like I was going to get... My depression was going to get worse because I wasn't... I hadn't got a focus. I hadn't got mm. something to focus on. So you're right in saying that this, you've got to find things and it could take time for you yeah. to find the right things. Um, I've I've now, after probably about six, seven years, realised that I do have to run. I do have to go out and do some exercise, either, mm. either a hit workout when I get home or going out and doing running. Because if I don't and if I come home and I just do nothing... I will feel a hundred times worse, and then my depression could go, could just go again, yeah. and it could just make me feel like I just want to give up again. Yeah. Um. So it is massively about finding what um, what what fits for you. Yeah. I think my problem is massively because of my self esteem, mm. massively because of my self esteem, and this feeling of not being good enough, mm. uh, not fit, not being. Uh, liked, not being um, respected, uh, um, but actually not liking myself, which mm-hmm. is the worst thing, because actually then when you're trying to do all these new things, when you're trying to keep yourself level, mm-hmm. actually it can be really, really hard because you there's a voice in your head all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think what you were just saying um, with your own experience, actually it's the right thing to do when you can early on because you don't want things to get worse. Yeah. Because the pain and the upset and the 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 constant uh fear of feeling you like you do just want to give up. If you can eliminate that as soon as possible, then that's that's really important. Yeah. I think you've um really summed it up there nicely because you hear a lot of the time people referring to mental health as episodes, which are absolutely right you do have episodes where your mental health may deteriorate but actually you can come from the point of view that you're always everybody is always on that borderline where they've got to keep their mental wealth really yeah yeah, definitely and I think you've summed it up there because a lot of time people think oh okay I'm I'm struggling here I'm going to go for CBT or I'm going to go for counselling or I'm going to do x y and z think that they're going to they're going to feel better immediately but it's that constant of having to maintain that. And it sounds a bit like it is fear for you 
that at any point, if you don't go running or you have time off work, it's that fear that actually your mental health is going to deteriorate and that must be really challenging to, yeah. to keep going and that must be quite tiring. It's massively tiring, mm. massively tiring. I think th there's kind of two things. I mean, I am on medication and I'm on quite a high dose of medication and when I first um, decided to, to, to take that, to take that step um i was told my gp put it quite nicely at the time that um everybody's got a bucket and yours is overflowing you just need to borrow a bigger bucket for a while um and i think i think that's actually it's actually that's the situation that's true for everybody whether you suffer from um sort of different mental health illnesses or whether you're actually just a normal human being there are times when our, our buckets overflow and we have we have too much mm. um and 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 we have to try and keep that stable um but there are times when yeah, there are bad days and there are good days. Um, and some sometimes the bad days can actually feel like this is never going to end. Mm. So I can understand why people... I can actually understand why people do take their own life because of the pain it can cause. Yeah. And I think, you know you break your leg or you um you have to have an operation or you've got a serious illness or or and 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 some massively life-threatening illnesses actually when you're really in the mad, midst of bad depression it is almost like having a life-threatening illness because yeah. actually you could take your own life in a second yeah and i don't think people realize that um that that is the case. I mm. think people think that, oh, just get over it. There's still sometimes that matter. Just get yeah. over it. Just do, go, go and do something that's going to make you happier. Yeah. But actually, there are times when I've been screaming and I just can't stop crying because it hurts so much. Yeah. And, um, and that's not easy to just get out of. No, definitely not. And I think <clears throat> you're absolutely right. There's no parity of esteem between physical health and mental health at all. And I think there's something like a 10-year um, gap from where some from a child a young person is diagnosed with mental health disorder until they get the treatment they they need whereas actually if you had a broken leg and was waiting 10 years for an x-ray and a cast or the treatment mm -hmm. it wouldn't it's it's not acceptable but i think like you you've touched upon it's taking you sort of 20 years to get that support and it, it's difficult to understand why i think there's many factors um, including stigma, but I think we are working to overcome that. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the campaigns that are out there are absolutely fantastic in bringing down that stigma. Um, and there's certain campaigns that are focusing on certain genders, recognising that suicide in males is quite high. So mm -hmm. um, just by talking to one another and bringing that down, there are campaigns. And uh, it's interesting what you said about the bucket, because that's something that I use quite often. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, I come at it from a different stance. So instead of necessarily borrowing a bigger bucket, I look at trying to um, help people to build in taps to be able to yeah. um, release the water so the yeah. bucket's no longer overflowing. And those taps could be something like, um, you spoke about running. It could be something, um, there's some research out there at the moment around adult colouring in. Yeah. Um, so instead of borrowing an extra bucket, because sometimes you think, well, when is that bucket going to be able to come smaller again yeah or are you then going to be asking to borrow another bucket and then you're going to end up with a well yeah or is it best to be trying to support people when they're able mm -hmm. to find those mechanisms to be able to release that that flow really and can I ask you another question I think mm -hmm. um so uh, I sort of been talking to my counsellor and she and, and you might know this statistic or know this sort of understanding better than I would but is there something about the fact that um new research has said that that um that 
when you're a child and you might have um, developed certain mechanisms when you're a child, it takes until you're like 25 actually for, for, the, for the brain to actually be able to, to cope with, um, with how you develop and how you develop from certain, um, certain patterns of behaviour. So my understanding is it's something to do with, um, with that uh, as children you don't have the mental capacity to deal with everything, do you? Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I think they thought it was like sort of 87, 18, 19, but actually now it, the, the evidence shows it's like 25 or something. It's a lot later than people thought. Yeah. So actually in the environment we work in, if that is the case, we're, we're actually dealing with quite a lot of people who might not sort of be ready and able to cope with everything that they're, they're feeling anyway. Yeah, exactly. What, what would you what would you say about that? How would you, do you is that true? Am I not just making it up? <laughs> no, no, I have heard, I don't know what the actual statistics are, but I have heard that there's um, the belief that the brain had fully developed by a certain age has um, now increased. I think it is something around 25. I don't know if there is a gender difference. I don't know where, I've got some yeah. about that in my head, but I don't know where that's from. Um so yeah, not only have you got students that are fitting into that um, age range, but also staff as well. And I think from where I can relate, being a member of staff that's transitioned into UE into a whole new world, it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge for a lot of staff I've spoken to. Yeah. Um, and the support there is great, but no support is going to take away how you're feeling mm-hmm. at that time because you need to develop and you need to continue. And I think... That's the same with the students. Mm-hmm. So the transition from um, the life they lived before, whether that was college or whether the, there has been a gap and now they've moved away from home, transitioning to uni is a difficult time yep. um, added by biological, you know, the brain development, mm-hmm. um, social um, situations, academic pressures. There's a lot going on for our students out there. Well, it's difficult to be able to say, okay, try this and this is going to work. I think as long as the support is out there um, and the support is known, that's one of the difficulties I come across is people say there isn't any support, but there is. But unfortunately, it's not easily, as easily accessible for mental health as it is for physical health. It's not. But it is there. And I think what's a challenge as well is that you rely on individuals to access that support the majority of the time. And if they're in a position where they can't do that, they could be falling through a gap. They could be falling through the net that we're not picking up on. I think um, my own experience is, especially in the last sort of two years um, specifically, um, are that that it is a problem. Mm -hmm. It massively is a problem. Like you said, if you've got a broken leg, generally you're not going to wait 10 years to get your broken leg fixed. uh, and um, I think there are there are so many different things out there, but you almost um, and, and this is a, this is I think uh, especially if you do suffer with self esteem and, and I think this because it's because that's how my my depression is mm. actually it makes it even harder because you kind of go do you know what I've talked to um, I've talked to this counsellor I've given fed my feedback of how am I feeling do I want to kill myself today do how you know how can I cope with social situations all of the different questions and you do those assessments and you do them again Mm -hmm. and then you do them again and then you go okay so we we can only offer you CBT and I've and I'm like well I've, I've tried CBT it doesn't work for me I don't I don't like it Right. Okay. Well, you need to prove that you've done it more than once, more than twice. And if you can't, 
uh, and then you could go back to your GP, but that doesn't mean that you will get any help on the NHS. And so I'm now in a position where I pay for my treatment myself mm. because there is nobody else out there that I can get it in any other way. Mm. And um, and it's not cheap. It's £160 a month that I have to pay just to make sure that I don't try and do something mm. stupid. And... Um, and I realised that that's the whole political argument that we'd have to get in. But it is really hard. Mm. And I think I think there is proof that CBT does work for so many people. And I think when you're early on on that journey, possibly being able to capture it that, that yeah. soon. Yeah. But if you've got more severe mental health problems that have developed through yeah. childhood and onwards... You need to be able to try other things. You need to be able to to be listened to and not being felt like you've got to prove who you are and why you deserve something Definitely. and why you deserve to be better. Yeah. And and I think that's um, that's been a really hard struggle for me. Yeah. Massively, a massive struggle. Yeah. And I think just one thing I want to touch upon that you said um, about your your paying for treatment so you don't do something silly. It's not silly or, or stupid. I don't know which word you use, but. I can see why society or messages that are received makes you say that. But as you said earlier, it's sort of desperation. It's that pain. It's that you need to yeah. to to get out of that pain. So it's not something silly or stupid that somebody does. It's it's you know a desperate act. Yeah. Um, I just don't want you to feel like no. You know, and I, it is. It, I suppose it is the wrong phraseology to a certain extent. Mm. Um, it's. Um, it, I suppose it's the 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 kind of what what other way out is there? Yeah. What what way mm. out? How how am I going to get? Um, mm. um, but there is that. You're right. There is that stigma. Um, I spoke to a member of my family and. And they, I think, almost felt that if I did anything, don't do anything stupid, that was kind of how it's phrased. Yeah. And actually, you know, um, when you're when you're suffering and you're in pain, people do things to try and get out of that pain. And um, and it, you're right, it isn't stupid. It's just your reaction yeah. to it and how you cope with it. But I think, like you said, it is a term that's used. It's a term that um, people do say, "Don't you know? You're not going to do anything stupid, are you?" Or, you know, um, "Oh, it was selfish." Or you hear all these things, and actually, it's until you sit down and speak to somebody about how they're actually feeling, that's when you start getting more of an insight to realise that yeah. it's not stupid, it's not selfish, it's actually desperation that but somebody cannot feel that they haven't got any other any other way out of this that selfish word is is a massive mm. um stigma i think yeah. because because actually most of the time i think um and specifically in my case but you're you're in that position because you're not being selfish because actually you're putting everybody else first exactly. in your life you put everybody else's needs um first yeah. and you don't put your own first which is why you might have got to that position in the first yeah. place. So I get very angry when people say, you yeah. know, that's it's being selfish. Yeah. And it's like, well, hang on, no, it's not. No, exactly. I'm I'm fed up with everybody else. I can't cope with anyone else now because nobody cares about me. Yeah. So um that really mm. gets my go. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that sort of links in with with self-esteem as well, really, because if you're feeling like 
you don't deserve to put yourself first. You're not going to do any self-care for yourself. You're not going to take that that 10 minutes, you know, to um, do something you like or go for that that walk that you promised yourself to make yourself feel better because now somebody's come to you with their issues or now somebody's asked for a favour and you're going to put them first and that's sort of reinforcing that you're not worth anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a risk that staff and students can put on themselves if they're already suffering from um, low self-esteem that they may try and set expectations that are, are too high, that are un, unachievable, to reinforce and confirm that they they aren't worthy or they are a failure. And like you may reference to that little voice in your head that keeps going on. Um, so then if a student's coming in and, and saying, I want to achieve a first, or you've got staff coming in and saying, I want to be promoted by three years within employment, and actually that's unachievable, that's just going to keep having that knock-on effect. Mm-hmm. And if we're not able to have those conversations to say to somebody well actually don't you think this is a little bit unrealistic here why do why are you setting those um why are you putting that pressure on yourself why why are you setting those expectations for yourself if you could have that conversation with somebody and then they could say well actually it's because I'm suffering with my self-esteem and I think I'm trying to confirm that I am a failure you know you could hopefully try and support somebody that way but I think I think university is an absolute great place for both staff and students to have conversations about mental health. But I don't think it's done to an extent that we need yet. And I think that is the stigma around it. And I think society Mm. and the community don't really support that Mm. to happen. You've been listening to the Let's Talk Now podcast, part of you Bristol's Mental Wealth Lab initiative. You can let us know what you thought of this episode by getting in touch with us via Twitter at UEBristol. Use the hashtag Let's Talk Now. If you're interested in being part of future podcasts, we'd also love to hear from you. Until next time, take care and thanks for listening.